Hello, and welcome to Avatar the Podcast. We are your everlasting hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Everlasting? That feels so permanent. I didn't sign up for it. Just kidding. I totally signed up for this. <laughs> In blood. In, In a contract. Blood. <laughs> That's why my <laughs> finger was pricked that one time. Weird. Today, we're going to be talking about Chapter 5, Avatar mm-hmm. Day, or as we like to call it, The Trial of Kiyoshi. That's right. And what an anticlimactic trial it is. <laughs> Can't wait. This episode was written by John O'Brien and directed by Lauren McMillan. Another morning dawns over the Earth Kingdom where Team Avatar is camped within a dense wood. A spider has woven a web in Sokka's open mouth and Momo is perched on his chest, gazing at the tasty morsel. When a fly lands on the web beside the spider, the lemur shoves his hand into Sokka's mouth, waking him with a jolt. Sokka scolds Momo, saying the lemur needs to be a little more sensitive to his boundaries. Momo hops off his chest just as a group of mysterious men on Komodo rhinos burst into camp. Their leader tells the travelers to give up. He and his men have them surrounded. Katara and Sokka rush over to Aang and Appa, only to realize a moment later that they've left their belongings behind. For Katara, her waterbending scrolls, and for Aang, his staff. The men use explosives and chains, also called bolas, to hinder Team Avatar from escaping. But they manage to gather their belongings, hop on Appa, and take flight. Only then, as they're flying away, does Sokka realize he's left his boomerang behind at camp. Katara tells him there's no time to go back for it. Sokka shoots back, oh, I see. So there's time to get your scrolls and time to get your staff, but no time for my boomerang? That's correct, Katara cheerfully (laughs) replies. Yep, that's exactly it. You hit the nail on the round part, Sokka. (laughs) And he's just like, oh, okay. Yep, you are correct. (laughs) Um, Really, really quickly before you get into that next point you're going to hit. One of those men, his name is actually, uh, or the only, only one that spoke, his name is Colonel Monk is what it sounds looks like m-o-n-g-k-e rob would fire me again if i don't say this but (laughs) he was voiced by maliki throne who has been in star trek like the original star trek and star trek the next generation as commodore jose mendez for the og star trek and senator pardek in the next generation there wasn't too too much that he's done that i've seen that we would really, or non-Star Trek folk would really know him as, but uh, he did die a little while ago at the age of 83, unfortunately. Aww. So right around this time, I would say from, this is probably 2006, I think in 2008 or nine, if I'm not mistaken, was his last IMDb credit. Okay. But he was definitely doing a lot of like TV shows from the 60s and 70s. So that was kind wow. of a good find. When I heard the voice, I thought it was the same voice actor as, as Bato. I thought for sure, but he was not. He has that same like Sully from Uncharted kind of vibe going on. So I was very excited to look at it. And then when it wasn't him, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I definitely know what you're talking about. He did have a voice that kind of sounded like it could be someone else on the cast who's like reprising the role as Mm him. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right. He's the only person who talks. But the rough rhinos are seen a couple times throughout the Avatar verse. And so I wanted to make a note of who they are. You're right. Colonel Monk or Monka is a talented firebender and the leader of the Rough Rhinos. He's also the only firebender in the group, as the rest of the team, Ogode and Kachi, prefer melee weaponry. And Ogode is specifically the one who has those chains or bolas. And Kachi uses a guandao. Hmm. Ye Lu specializes in explosives, as we see, and he also wears that armor that masks his face. And so apparently he never exposes it to anyone he encounters, kind of like a Mandalorian. Interesting. I also like that their name is Rough Rhinos, not just for the alliteration, but it kind of reminds me of the, the Rough Riders, the his, not the rapper group, the historical American <laughs> history group. Thank you very much. Uh, but it has that kind of vibe. Also, Kind of has the same vibe as um, Kylo Ren in the Knights of Ren with only one of them really kind of having like the special abilities and the rest are just kind of like masked and there to support essentially. Ooh, I like that connection. Yes, you're so right. Yeah. The last person in the in the group, this is super interesting. Bachir wields a bow and frequently uses flaming arrows as we see in this episode. But 
He was originally a member of the renowned Yuyan Archers. Yes. That we saw in the Blue Spirit. Yeah, this this resurfacing, let's call it, of the Yuyan Archers just made me miss Zhao so much more. Because I so <laughs> I may have forgotten that he was killed at the end of season or book one. So when as soon as I saw Yuyan Archer, I was like, what is Zhao up? I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Is, what is that Zhao up to nowadays? Oh, yeah, he's busy being kind of dead. <laughs> and I got sad again immediately. Aww. Yeah, but it's okay. Because we got a Yuyan Archer, so our former one, I guess. Yeah, a former Yuyan Archer. And you can especially see that by the tattoo on his face. Yes. Yeah. We talked about that kind him. of looking like a, a superhero mask yep. in uh, the Blue Spirit episode. Yeah, that's why I saw him. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a Yuyan. I was very excited. Uh, I also wonder if he just failed out of the Yuyan Archers, because as we'll see later in this episode, he's not super great. <laughs> you know what? I didn't actually make that connection, but I accept that in my headcanon because the guy is not very talented with the with arrows. Nope. That's kind of the whole point of the Yuyan Archers. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of he's just going off of the fact his resume is just like, I was a Yuyan Archer and that's it. There's nothing else. So. The Fire Nation would probably be like, oh, cool. Yeah, you're in the, you're in the uh, rough rhinos now. That's what you are in. And he's like, yes. How much do you want to bet that he went out and got his face tattooed oh and my learned God. how to pick up a bow and kind of sort of shoot and then forged that on his resume and said, yeah, totally. I was I was a Yuyan Archer. Oh, you see yeah. the tattoos? You For can't years. just get this anywhere. No, no. I was initiated. That's terrible. I love that, though. I, I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> anyway, the writers' names also resemble various Mongolians associated with Genghis Khan and other nomadic warriors. So there's a fun fact for you too. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I almost forgot. We heard in the episode Jet that some Fire Nation uh, soldiers or Fire Nation individuals killed his parents and attacked his village. Well, mm-hmm. come to find out, it was the Rough Rhinos. Oh, really? Yeah. And that is what ignited Jet's lifelong hatred of the Fire Nation. Damn it, Rough Rhinos. I liked you so much up until there. Well, they do kind of bust in like the Kool-Aid man. Like, hey, we're here to take over your village for the Fire Lord. Yeah, but also that village sucks. So, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yeah, it does. (laughs) That wasn't a viable thing to make me go like, oh, these are great people. I know this is later. We're jumping the gun, but like. I know. It's okay. Yeah. It's just like. Oh, the, like, this is a great town, like like Kyoshi or like Omashu, a great city, right? No, it's just yeah. like a bunch of people who really suck. So yeah. I, had, I had a hard time feeling bad for them. Apparently, they make a habit of this. So we're going <laughs> to see them again, if that tells you anything. Okay, cool. Later at a supply outpost, Aang tells Sokka he's sorry about his boomerang. Sokka likens the loss to as if Aang lost his arrow or Katara lost her hair loopies. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Katara gives her brother a comforting hug as the man in the outpost gives them a basket of produce, referring to Sokka as ponytail guy in the process. Sokka sadly says, I used to be boomerang guy. (laughs) When Katara pays the man with water tribe money, the man happily accepts it because money is money. He closes the shop and wishes them a happy Avatar Day and asks if they're going to the festival, which piques the group's interest. They make their way down to Chin Village, which sits on a cliff beside the sea. Strings of lanterns and embroidered flags hang between the buildings, and giant papier-mâché floats of Avatar Kyoshi, Roku, and Aang are wheeled into the village square. Aang is moved by the festivities, saying, Having a huge festival in your honor is great, but frankly, it's just nice to be appreciated. Sokka, meanwhile, is busy appreciating some fried food beside them. An athletic man with long, dark hair comes running down the street carrying a torch, a little reminiscent of the opening Olympic ceremonies. But instead of lighting an Olympic cauldron, the torchbearer leaps through the Kyoshi float, igniting it in the process. The man goes on to light the Roku float, and the chanting of the crowd goes with him. Down with the Avatar! There's a bunch of things in that scene that I really enjoy. One of them is Sokka is already looking to replace Boomerang. So he goes, oh, a torch. That looks nice. Smells manly. It's fire. It's really cool. (laughs) And he goes, I don't think I could pull that off. The second thing is this is the first time and I think maybe the only time that we've seen fire be used destructively that's not firebending. Ooh. 
Yeah, great point. Because I think the only people who use fire in a destructive way or even in like a threatening way are firebenders because yep. everyone else is using fire for its like practical purpose. Like right, a campfire. for light or a stove or something like that. Yeah. 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 This is the first time that I can think of anyways. And I, I mean, maybe it's the only time, I don't know, where you literally see someone using it that's not a firebender just destroying something. So even yeah. though it's like a controlled destruction, it still is there. The third thing that I really like is just how quickly this escalated. <laughs> They're yeah. just like, oh, this is nice. Look at these floods. And Aang's like, I've never seen me so large before. This is great. And then all of a sudden, everyone's just burned. And the way they burn Aang's face is, this is one thing I would change. The only thing I would change right now, besides maybe not including the Great Divide episode, would be that if they just had his eyeball burn out on the other side, that is the only thing I would change because then it would mirror almost Zuko. Or I guess technically <gasps> oh. with him, I guess if you think about it this way though, if you put it on the wrong side and he's staring at Zuko, he would still be a mirrored reflection of Zuko with that burned eyeball out. Oh my God. I wonder if that was intentional. I don't know. I really hope it was. I feel like maybe not, but it's just too good to not point out. Well, see, when I saw that, I was like, ooh, that's kind of intense. Like yeah. shooting a flaming arrow through Aang's paper mache eye, like yeah. ow. Yeah. But if it was kind of like symbolic as being Aang as the counterpart to Zuko, even in a distant way, that would yeah. be super cool. Well, this is also too. think about it. This is attacking Aang's honor as the avatar, this whole parade. And what does Zuko love most of all in, in the world? Why his honor, Greg, and the audience can't see me, but I am wagging my finger at Greg (laughs) going, oh, you, oh, you, great, great points. (laughs) Yeah, that's what just stood out to me. But yeah. Yeah. So like that specific moment when they're chanting down with the avatar and our team avatar is just shocked by this. There's specifically, (laughs) specifically Sokka's face. Did you catch that? It is full-blown, quirked eyebrow, (laughs) mouth hanging open with just food inside. And he sits there for like a good solid three seconds. I will say his facial expressions in this episode and the next episode are beautiful. They are just over-exaggerated. I feel like they put most of their animation budget into him alone. Uh Uh-huh. I appreciate it. Yeah. You can really tell the team is hitting their stride with the animations at least. Yeah. One final note about the uh, floats is the burning of the effigies of these three avatars is very similar to the burning of the effigies of Ravan, Kumkarna, and Meghnad. I don't know if I'm saying those correctly, so I apologize if I'm not. On the Hindu festival of... So I don't even know how to pronounce that either, but I did find an alternate name for it. Okay. And it's Deshane. 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 D-A-S-H-A-I-N. Because this festival goes by three different names, and that was one of the easier ones for me to pronounce. So instead of butchering Vijayadashami, I yeah. think Shane might be easier. Vijayadashami, I think, is it, it's at least how it's spelled. But yes, yeah. super cool. And that, that festival specifically celebrates the triumph of good over evil. Yes, which is actually, it's very funny that this is kind of like relates to this real life Hindu festival, because good over evil are very subjective things, right? Like, exactly. Like if you're evil, you never view, well, more often than not, you don't view yourself as evil. Yes. You just have you opposing, can, yeah. You can definitely have two sides which believe themselves to be good and the other side evil, and it's just a mirror of each other. And so, yes, at this point in the story of this episode, this festival thinks that they are good and they're vanquishing evil because evil in this case is the avatar who killed their leader. Ooh, a mirror of one another. Just kind of like uh-huh. how that Aang float is a mirror scar of Zuko. Mm-hmm. This is so good, this first part. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> Insert X-Files music here. <laughs> Meanwhile, in another village, a man and a woman walk down a quiet street with baskets of food. Suddenly, a shadow leaps down from the roof and cuts the long pole used to carry the baskets in half. The baskets go tumbling and the figure's blue mask leers at the couple. The man cowers away as the blue spirit swiftly collects his prize, hanging the baskets over his shoulders before disappearing as swiftly as he came. The scene shifts to the blue spirit arriving at a large tree in the woods where it deposits its mask into a large hole amongst its roots. 
A moment later, Zuko emerges from the tree line, carrying the stolen baskets of food. He throws the supplies down on the ground before his uncle, who was waiting in the cave that they have been calling their home. Iroh asks Zuko where he got the food, to which Zuko replies, What does it matter where they come from? Iroh's disapproving expression melts into one of delight when he bites into one of the basket's pastries. So, I think this is the first time we see the blue spirit operating in daylight, in broad daylight. Yes, it is. Which makes him less intimidating immediately. Yeah, I was thinking that. The color grading is like a lot lighter. Yeah. The, the blue spirit in shadow and under the cloak of night is very intimidating because yeah. the, the aggressive shadows kind of create this ghostly apparition type of quality but when he's standing in the street in the broad daylight it's like who's this guy with the mask on his face wearing black clothes it looks like just blue spirit cosplay versus proper blue spirit Mm -hmm. yeah which was i thought was a weird choice because they could have very easily just made this at night and i don't think like they've been doing this weird thing where they try to match the time of day between both parties to be about the same to show that they're happening on the same day i don't think that's necessary though i think like if this was just happening later that night And we're going back and forth that way. I would have been okay with it. Yeah, I agree. The only thing I'll say to that is this is also Zuko performing as the blue spirit. And we are well aware that this is Zuko. He went and stole some clothes and stole this face mask. And so it's almost like being able to see through the magic trick and seeing the, the kind of grim reality of it. It's all smoke and mirrors and wires versus being something that's like actually ghostly. But like I would. I would disagree with that because Batman is the exact same way and he still maintains that like even in broad daylight that like imposing figure and that imposing kind of creepy almost terrifying quality and I think it's because the art team goes out of their way to make sure that is maintained but like with this one it was everything was just washed out and it just I don't think it was purposeful I think it was just like we have to put him in here it could be that yeah what I'm getting at though is This whole episode is focused on Zuko stealing when he probably doesn't need to. He's doing this out of his own like selfish feelings or emotional impulses versus out of necessity or honor. And so it's almost like that reasoning matches the washed out nature or the washed out appearance of the blue spirit because it's not its true essence anymore. Yeah. And it's also Iroh is kind of recognizing this is what he was afraid would happen once Zuko lost his honor. Yeah, exactly. He talks about that in last episode, right? I remember it was last episode, but I remember he talked about it specifically. It was in the storm is what I'm thinking of, where he was oh, like, okay. all Zuko has is, is his honor. And like, you know, or was it the storm? Yes, it was the storm because uh, I don't remember. It was maybe it was somewhere in book one where he's very afraid of Zuko losing his honor because that's all he has right now. And who knows what he'll turn into if he loses that. So the mission of catching the Avatar yeah. was keeping him on course, which I'm, I want. I still want to say it's the storm, but I'm not 100%. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, please someone correct me. No, I think you're right. Because I think, I think the scene you're talking about is what after he's done telling the crew about Zuko's backstory, and then he kind of brings it all together by saying all he has is his yes. honor. And when he loses that something bad can happen. Um, He also mentions it in the Avatar state when they're at the spa, that like spa resort. I want to say that he makes some sort of like mention about... Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. 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 About like what could happen if Zuko loses his focus or puts so much emphasis on his honor and trying to get back home. Yeah. Yeah. Because right now, Zuko is just floating out there in the world, Mm -hmm. just trying to survive. Yeah. A little aimless. He's stealing things like i think at a surface level to make himself feel better and by being like oh this is for uncle like he's helped me so much let me help him but really he's just like trying to figure things out i feel like he's this is his definition of a workout so he's just trying to like do something and hoping that it jogs some sort of feeling inside of him because he's almost like he views this as robin hooding essentially at this point right he's stealing Mm -hmm. from rich seemingly rich more richer than he and uncle are at this point and giving it to themselves which is so twisted because he tells his uncle we shouldn't be begging we're royalty we we deserve this and so it's almost like out of a twisted sense of i deserve this is oh yeah yeah stealing from the wealthy which he usually is yes yeah he's yeah he's he very much i think has an identity crisis at this point 
And I think that might also be why he dawns on the guise of the blue spirit again, because he's like, well, I know who I am with the blue spirit. Yeah. Maybe that will help, but it doesn't really do anything for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Back at Chin Village, the crowd continues to chant, down with the Avatar, as Aang's float is set on fire. Katara promptly extinguishes the burning effigies with water bending. When the festival goers protest and call her a party pooper, Aang jumps to her defense and reveals himself as the Avatar. The townspeople are instantly afraid and fear that he will kill them all with his awesome Avatar powers. Mayor Tong tells them to leave the village as Aang is an unwanted visitor. When Katara argues that Aang only helps people, Mayor Tong refuses to accept this, explaining that Kyoshi, one of Aang's past lives, murdered their glorious leader, Chin the Great. Aang asks for a chance to clear his name and agrees to stand trial. So, very interesting. Two quick things. One, Mayor Tong is voiced by none other than James Hong who, if you have been listening since the Storm episode, you'll know him as Tashi. He was one of the monks. He was the elder or dower monks. Oh. He was the one that was yeah. like, no, the Avatar has to train immediately. He has to do all this stuff now. Like, we're in like the 100-year war now. It's going to be 100 years. He was the one that was always arguing with Monk Yatso. Oh, okay. We talked briefly. I won't go over it in detail, but if you want to hear more about James Hong, go back and listen to our coverage of the Storm but uh, he's a very renowned Asian-American actor. Can I say something? Yes. I think this is the very first time I've heard someone and recognized who they are. Yeah. Because he also played uh, Chifu in Mulan, right? The emperor's oh, like assistant guy. Did he? I think he did. Hold on. Let me look it up real quick. I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. It was a very similar delivery. Yep. Chifu. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So this voice that he's playing as Mayor Tong is like, for me, the James Hong voice. It's okay. very like condescending, whiny yeah. at the same time. Uh, very comedic. Like he's overperforming it, which I really like. If again, it does the same, almost the same voice in Diablo 3, where he pretty much plays the god of mischief, essentially. He plays like a oh, jeweler. That's appropriate. Yeah. He's like a jeweler who turns out that he's just like a Loki type, but for their mythology, which is really funny. Oh. Yeah. So the other thing really quickly is that the crowd, including Mayor Tong, always refers to the Avatar or Aang as it. Never he. It's always it, which demonizes oh, him. Yeah. I didn't notice that until the second or third watch through. But when they're like, oh, it's the Avatar. It's going to kill us with its crazy avatar power. And then Hong always refers to Aang as it. I did not catch that. That mm -hmm. is that is such a good little detail in the writing. Yeah. You're right. It does kind of demonize it others him. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Well, Aang is thrown into stocks and put in the Chin Village prison without hope of bail because the town doesn't accept Water Tribe currency. Which is absolute crap because they absolutely accept Water Tribe currency because they did in the beginning of this episode. Do you think the outpost guy was from Chin Village? Yes. So here's what I think. Okay. The mayor changes his mind in the rules consistently. He runs the town and everyone just goes with what he says. So I think they actually do take Water Tribe currency, but they have just such a hatred and distaste for the Avatar that he's like, you know what? For you, we don't take that currency. <laughs> he could have literally taken out Earth Kingdom money and they would have been like, we don't take that here. Your money's oh no good gosh. here. That's my like, like that. little headcanon. And it's completely in line with the mayor, as we'll see as we go through. Yeah, no, I love that. Sokka suggests that they use Aang's airbending abilities to break him out of jail, but Aang replies that he can't have people believing he's a murderer and asks Sokka and Katara to help prove his innocence. Sokka agrees to help and dons his detective outfit, a winged cap traditionally worn by Chinese magistrates who, in Chinese literature, were often depicted as great detectives and an attached monocle. I, I love that because it is also not only with the Chinese culture inclusion, but it is also very reminiscent of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, definitely a nod there. And the pipe, too. The, pi the bubble pipe. Yeah. I was like, where'd you get that? <laughs> I love that. That was in my notes, too. It was like almost a fourth wall break yeah. where she acknowledges the fact that it's a little ludicrous that he got this out of nowhere. It's like, wait, where'd you get that? <laughs> 
Mayor Tong brings Sokka and Katara to the scene of the crime, outlining the footprint of the killer, Kyoshi, from when she emerged from a temple and struck their leader down. After that day, they immortalized his likeness in a stone statue. When Sokka puts together that both the statue and the temple were cut from the same stone, he and Katara realize that Kyoshi could never have set foot in that temple because both were constructed after she was supposed to have killed Chin. Mm. Yeah, I love the the back and forth bickering and how yes. the show shows that Katara is just as quick minded and just as on top of this mystery as Sokka is. But Sokka gets the special detective role because he's dressed up. And so she's like, okay, fine, Sokka. I would even argue that she is at least one step ahead of Sokka this entire time. She seems to be. Yeah, so it's, e- it's either that or he's really like, playing up the theatricality of it all which yeah. either way is hilarious to me but he's always just like and then this means and then she's like yeah i know it's and he goes no 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 i have the pipe you have to simmer down and i think at one point <laughs> he even like shoves her away which i was like geez Sokka. and then she smacks him back with the pipe yeah. yep <laughs> yeah some good old sibling rivalry I for you it. yeah a small detail too about the statue there are some chinese characters carved in the lower part in what is apparently ancient seal script, and it reads Emperor Chin. Hmm. But Chin's name in this episode is also a strong or bears a strong resemblance to Chin Shi Huang Di. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Again, I apologize. Any Chinese listeners, the first emperor of China whose reign was characterized by expansion of the Chinese state. Interesting, especially with what yes. happens later. Yes, exactly. I think they took some inspiration from that piece of history. I like that. Aang waits in Chin Village Prison, where nearby, an elephant rat sniffs around the cell floor for food. It eventually finds an acorn and scampers off with it, which I think is really reminiscent of Scrat from Ice Age. Mm -hmm. Also, this is your second appearance in Avatar. So congratulations. It is. It is my second appearance. Yay. (laughs) Winter Solstice Part 1 and Avatar Day. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's a connection in terms of using the acorn in this prison. I wondered that too. It seemed a little strange for an acorn to be in a prison on the ground in a village that's by a cliff without any trees nearby. Yeah. And we know that from the Winter Solstice Part 1, was it? Or Part 2? Yeah, Part 1. Part 1. That a single acorn can help, you know, repopulate an entire village. So, yeah. you know, I don't what? know what that means. What I'm thinking it's it might have just been a nod to Ice Age because wasn't Ice Age out around that time? Probably. And I know that they had like little short animations. I don't remember if they played on Nickelodeon or not, but they had little short like uh, what was the name? Scrat. Was yeah, that Scrat? Scrat's uh-huh. like like Lost Day or whatever like that. They always had these little like two minute shorts. But that was Blue Sky Studio who did the more recent Spies in Disguise, as well as Ferdinand, the okay, animated movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that was probably, this was 2006, so it feels about right. Yeah, 2002 was when the first Ice Age came out, but then 2006 was Ice Age The Meltdown, which... Well, yeah, I mean, they've had like 15 Ice Ages, I feel I mean, like. yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... That's that's my headcanon, at least. If anyone knows for sure, please let us know. But for now, it seems like a nod to Ice Age and Scrat. Yeah. But within this cell, suddenly a voice is heard from the other side. You got a bald head, some nice tattoos. You're going to fit in real well around here. The voice belongs to a tall, muscular, bald man with green serpentine tattoos and gold earrings. Aang grins sheepishly up at this intimidating cellmate. I like that. I like that. I never even thought that in this world, a typical prisoner or like a gang member could be someone who's bald and is covered in tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a nice parallel. It's yeah. like, you know, this big buff criminal, bald headed, tattooed guy is like, hey, kid, you're like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Katara and Sokka continue their investigation by going to Kyoshi Island, the home of Avatar Kyoshi. When they land, the islanders are thrilled to see them and none more than the foaming mouth guy. His return. His return. (laughs) Who begins doing what he does best, shrieking and foaming excessively at the mouth. 
When the villagers find out that Aang isn't with Sokka and Katara, they all groan in disappointment. And foaming mouth guy wipes his mouth and slips away in embarrassment with his shirt pulled up over his head. So foaming mouth guy really quickly. Remember how I said that I think they used up all of the animation budget on Sokka's facial expressions? I'm actually going to take that back. And I'm pretty sure they used it all on foaming mouth guy (laughs) because that was the smoothest the animation has been all episode. And this this episode, there are parts of it that looked kind of janky to me. Yeah, I'm wondering if that was budget related or no, sorry, not budget related, but um, time budget related. It was either time budget related, but there are plenty of times too with, with uh, Zuko and Iroh where I think they just couldn't remaster the existing footage because it just looked like it was a lower resolution to everything oh, else that, that we have be. seen so far. And I know that Batman Beyond, when that got remastered, there was a couple episodes that they couldn't touch up. They just didn't have like whatever they needed to do that. So they just put in the episodes as they were. So I'm wondering if these scenes just could not be remastered for lost assets or whatever. So they just kind of like, well, you you know what? Something's better than nothing. Put it in there. But it was very like, you have this very serious moment. I think it's coming up maybe later between Iroh and Zuko. And it just looks like it's a VHS quality. I know what you're talking about now (laughs) subconsciously or like distantly. I was recognizing it as looking different, but then I didn't actually pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. So that that would make sense. But Foaming Mouth Guy, the smoothest animation. Oh, yeah. It was like almost out of a Miyazaki movie for me. (laughs) Yep. And which is why he is a great gif to use on any social media platform. Um, Also, Foaming Mouth Guy was apparently a creative contribution from animator Ki Hyun Ryu. And Brian Kanetsko and Michael Dante DiMartino have jokingly stated that Suki supposedly once dated the foaming mouth guy, but was not proud of it. I don't even like that as a joke because Suki's so young. I know. <laughs> well, she probably dated him, like, quote unquote, dated what middle schoolers and high schoolers do sometimes, which is like, we're together. We're boyfriend, girlfriend. But that's I it. I just see him as being like in his 20s is what I see foaming mouth guy being. I see him as maybe like 17, 16, 17. I I disagree, but we have no facts (laughs) on that. So we'll just have to take them at their word and say maybe it's a three year difference max, three, four year difference. I would expect that. But, you know, I'm still a little hurt that Mike and Brian have joked about this because our sweet Suki. I know. I feel like she would have better, better taste than that. But then again, we are, we are also judging foaming mouth guy literally by like, five seconds of appearance without ever saying a word. So who yeah. knows? He could be a great guy. Yeah, we don't know. Katara explains the situation to Oyaji, the village leader, and he takes them to Kyoshi's shrine to see if there is something that could help them clear her name. On the way, Sokka asks after Suki, and Oyaji tells them that she and the other Kyoshi warriors left to fight in the war. Sokka, Katara, and Aang had a big impact on her, and she was inspired to help change the world. I love that he asked about Suki. In like such a, a bashful way, like, so uh Su- Su- what's Suki up to? <laughs> I was just smiling so bad. Every time I that I watched that scene, I was just like, ah, oh, buddy, that's who you're meant to be with right there. Don't don't even worry about the moon anymore. You got you got your own moon right here. It's the first time that he's actually like considered another girl and he seems to be like we discussed in i think last episode he seems to be more himself now yeah so you know maybe he's moving on maybe he's like oh yeah that suki girl i i kind of like her yeah they that was maybe his first kiss aside from grand grand yep (laughs) (laughs) yes aside from grand grand a small note about kiyoshi island which i don't think we talked about uh, last time we were here, mm-hmm. it is largely reminiscent of Japan. And as it is part of an archipelago separated from the larger main continent, the warriors also wear armor similar to Japanese armor, along with face paint that is similar to the face paint used in Japanese kabuki. In addition to all of that, their food is also based on traditional Japanese cuisine, and they have Japanese sounding names such as Suki and Oyaji. And Oyaji actually is an informal Japanese word that means old man. Mm. So it's you would use that if you're affectionately referring to your father or your longtime boss or an older relative. Uh, really quickly too, Oyaji 
is voiced by James C., the Cabbage Merchant voice <gasps> actor. Yep. No way! Yep. yep. So oh, I thought that's that was so pleasant. cool. This episode has a lot of reoccurring voice actors coming back in. I couldn't figure out who the prisoners were because everything else was just like miscellaneous voices yeah. credited. But um, what I could find was just people returning. So we'll see that a little later too. Oh, very cool. Yeah. In the shrine, relics of Kyoshi are laid out similar to a museum. Oyaji tells them that the clerics have said these relics are still connected to Kyoshi's spirit. When Katara sees how large Kyoshi's boots are and learns that Kyoshi was said to have the largest feet of any avatar, she begins to put together that the footprint Mayor Tong showed them couldn't possibly be Kyoshi's. But... Sokka is the one with a special outfit, the hat and the pipe, <laughs> and Katara sarcastically turns the mystery solving back over to him. Sokka dramatically raises his hands in the air and exclaims, there's no way Kyoshi could have made that footprint and therefore there is nothing linking her to the crime scene. Or is there? Or is there? <laughs> back at the prison, Aang is getting some love advice from his burly, intimidating cellmates. You're smart, handsome, funny, not to mention you're the avatar, says the man with the green serpentine tattoos from earlier. Don't be afraid to tell her how you feel, says another with tears streaming down his cheeks. Aang takes his head and arms out from the woodstock he was put in, revealing that he was never trapped. And he thanks the man and tells them that they are great. <laughs> this is just such a wholesome scene. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you think these like big imposing men are going to like beat him up or do something terrible to him. And they're just like kind of having just like a chat. Yeah. It's like nice. guy talk. Talk yeah. about your love life. And, yeah. you know, no, man, you're you're a great guy. You're a good catch. Do you think it's because they've all been stereotyped into being the criminal? So yes. they all understand that they none of them might actually be criminals. So they just kind of hang out and they don't make each other's life any worse. That is exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I bet with how backwards the justice system is yes. in this village that they yep. these are like completely normal guys who look like criminals. And so Tong is like, I say you're a criminal. We're going to lock you up. And he's like, dude, I'm a woodworker. <laughs> even better, even better. Someone at one point in Tong's life Tong perceived as wronging him, like maybe beat him up as like a kid or something like that, or maybe even didn't. I don't know. But that man was bald and had tattoos. So now whenever <laughs> anyone who's bald and has tattoos comes to this this town and they get uh, imprisoned. They get booted in jail. They get booted right in jail. <laughs> I bet. Back on Kyoshi Island, Oyaji shows Sokka a painting called The Birth of Kyoshi, which was painted at sunrise on the day the island was founded. Why, it was today, in fact, Oyaji tells them, 370 years ago. He explains that today is Kyoshi Day, a day the island celebrates every year. Sokka and Katara put two and two together and realize the painting is depicting a sunset, not a sunrise, which means Kyoshi couldn't have been at the scene of the crime. So a painting is not a solid form of evidence because someone painted it and therefore uh -huh. can change details, which I think is really funny. So this goes to a little bit earlier when Sokka was like, I'll be the detective, right? And yeah. Katara and Aang were just kind of like egging him on, essentially. They're like making fun of him with that like one case that he solved for the water tribe. Yeah, like... The case of the sea lion boots or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like someone was stealing jerky, blubber jerky, and it was some yeah. old man in like boots, essentially, instead of like a, a animal. <laughs> An actual was. animal. Yes. Yeah. So there's that. Also, really quickly, if anyone is wondering where Sokka got that hat, it looks like the same hat as the calm man from the fortune teller or that he wore the, from the fortune teller episode. <gasps> So that Sokka. might be where he got Did it. Did he steal it? Well, I wonder if the bear knocked it off his head or something. Oh, true. It probably did. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, my God. No, I think it did. Because I remember seeing the guy walk off without a hat, but he mm -hmm. had it in the very first scene. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So everything that they have as like a prop, except for the dragon pipe, which I made a joke about, I think yeah. they picked up somewhere in their adventures. I think they did. And yeah. it wasn't one of the things that Momo mm -hmm. tossed off of Appa in the swamp. Right. <laughs> so yeah. they still had it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, while all of this is taking place, 
Zuko continues to thieve and steal around the Earth Kingdom. He robs a tax collector in a coach and uses the money to decorate the cave he shares with his uncle. Iroh tells his nephew to not be ashamed of being poor because there is a simple honor in poverty. When Zuko mentions one more time the capture of the Avatar, Iroh adds that this will not solve all their problems. He says, in the darkest times, hope is something you give yourself. That is the meaning of inner strength. But this advice seems to have a different effect on Zuko, who tells his uncle after thinking for a long time that they no longer have anything to gain by traveling together. He needs to find his own way. Zuko gathers his belongings and departs on his own. See, you say that the advice seems to have a different effect on Zuko, but I think it's the only effect that it could possibly have on Zuko. Iroh says, literally, in the darkest times, hope is something you give yourself. So Zuko's like, all right, I have to help myself on here. I'm using uncle as a crutch, like from a, not a moral standpoint, but he's kind of using like moral support, maybe, is the term I'm looking for. That's interesting because I interpreted it as Zuko removing himself from the situation completely and is like, okay, fine, I'm going to go figure this out myself. I'm going to go find the avatar, figure out what I'm doing with my life and everything. And I'm just going to go do that on my own. And Iroh being sad about it, but because he's Iroh, he had a conserved, like controlled reaction to that Mm -hmm. news Mm -hmm. and was sad and probably crushed, but still let Zuko go do this thing that he wanted to do. But you're saying that Iroh was telling him this intentionally to get Zuko to just go act and figure out his his path. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, because this is the first time in maybe four or five episodes that we've seen Zuko even mention the Avatar. Yeah, the Avatar was mentioned to him, but that was about it. He just kind of responded and walked away. Right. And he responded by stealing the ostrich horse. Uh huh. So he hasn't brought up the Avatar in a while. We can assume based on what we've seen. And when he does, Iroh is like, oh, he's back on this path again. So he kind of lets him know that, like, you have to figure your life out. You have to figure this out. Like, I know you you're stealing things. Hope. Yeah, I know you're stealing all these things. I don't care because they're delicious. And I'm Iroh and I like delicious things. But <laughs> there's nothing wrong with how we're living right now. There's actually we're in the right in this scenario. And the Fire Nation is in the wrong. You are conflicted about this. You need to go figure this out. There's not much I have left to teach you on this front. It's just all you on this part because he's always been his moral compass, right? Yeah. So now he needs to, this is the test for Zuko. Is Zuko going to waver on Iroh's teaching and like go with Ozai's mentality? Or is he going to kind of stick true to what his uncle has shown him throughout the past season and almost a half or season and a quarter, let's say, and like really kind of be a good person? Because you said that, I can take the middle ground with this and say, I believe Iroh said that to him, knowing that Zuko going off on his own was a possibility. And that's kind of why he didn't seem surprised, but he was still sad when Zuko made that decision and left. Yeah, I think no matter what, whether Iroh suggests this or not, he's always going to be sad about his nephew because it's. He even said he thinks of him as a son. So like he's losing this part almost made me tear up a little bit. He's losing his son again. Yeah, exactly. He has no idea if he's going to see him ever again. And that's really what struck me because they're on the run from the Fire Nation. They're refugees in the Earth Kingdom. And so they can't reveal their identity. They're in the middle of the woods in a random cave. And yeah. Zuko's like, I'm going to go hoof it on my own and figure this out. And It's such a big world. It's such a big continent. And they don't have a a set solid place that they call home. So yeah, Ira was probably thinking in that moment, I may never see my nephew, who I think of as my son, again. And that's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And to make matters worse, Zuko doesn't say, I love you. He doesn't say goodbye. He doesn't do any pleasantries. That little punk. He's just like, I'm going. And then... Iroh is just like, he, Iroh gives him that last chance to say goodbye by handing him the ostrich horse. And he just like glares at him, gets on the horse and rides away the ostrich horse and rides away. And I'm just like, what? What are you doing? You brat. I'm not mad at you, Zuko. I'm just disappointed. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Katara and Sokka return to Chin Village to present their defense of Aang to Mayor Tong, only to find out that the mayor defines justice as just us, 
because guilty charges are determined by the village and the mayor himself, not on any evidence. That is the only pun that I hate is when people say just us for justice. I dislike <laughs> that pun completely. Um, not it's for a any lazy pun. It's That's a lazy why. pun. And it's not not for any political reason either. It's just in high school, one of my favorite comic books was Young Justice, which everyone yep. knows now because there's a cartoon on it, but it's very much different. So they came up with the name with this pun. And I was like, That's just lazy. That's terrible. And then it shows up again in here. And I'm just like, and actually, honestly, it's probably within a couple of years of when that comic came out, I think. I think it was Ooh. early two thousands. It so. could be another current events nod of some maybe kind? i don't know it's just like it's maybe just a coincidence too but like I, he, he said that and i was like i'll let this slide because it's tong and he's terrible anyways but like yeah that's not your best writing avatar <laughs> yeah we'll say the bad taste in puns is tong's fault not the writers yes yes <laughs> we'll say it was ad-libbed by james song yeah yeah there you go there you go he's channeling his inner mayor tong there we go because of this skewed sense of justice, Aang is tried in the morning where Mayor Tong presents his reasons, and I put that in quotation marks, air mm -hmm. quotes, for Aang being guilty. And then Aang actually does a terrible job presenting the evidence that Sokka and Katara gathered for him. So as a last resort, Katara dresses Aang in Kyoshi's relics with the hopes that Avatar Kyoshi would appear and speak through Aang in her own defense. Right before Aang receives his sentencing, Kyoshi does. A whirlwind envelops Aang and casts sepia light across the village on the cliff. Kyoshi says, I killed Chin the Conqueror. A horrible tyrant, Chin was expanding his army to all corners of the continent. When they came to the neck of the peninsula where we lived, he demanded our immediate surrender. I warned him that I would not sit passively while he took our home, but he did not back down. On that day, we split from the mainland. I created Kyoshi Island so my people could be safe from invaders. And this is such a great scene. Mm -hmm. I think I just personally have a thing for all Avatar scenes whenever we get a flashback because the Avatars are just so freaking powerful yeah. and inspiring and props to the music people because the swelling of that music in the scene just like yeah. makes my heart flutter and get all excited also her voice avatar kiyoshi is voiced by none other than jennifer hale who Ooh. you'll recognize as june from bato of the water tribe so again yes, another reoccurring i do remember that name yep yep uh jennifer hale is a very accomplished voice actor so uh, go listen to the Bato of the Water Tribe episode if you want to hear more about what she's been in. But like, I'm just going to say pretty much everything. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> also, real quickly, Yoshi didn't actually murder anyone. No. <laughs> Let's talk about that because no, she did not. And it, it wasn't necessarily or it could be. It could be the fact that this is a kid's show. We kill very few people in this show. Yeah. But... I do think the village is taking this or throwing this out of proportion because, yes, Chin died as an indirect result right. of Kyoshi. Kyoshi did not murder him directly. Right. And, but like what's very interesting is she even fesses up. She goes, yes, I killed Chin the Conqueror. And it's this very powerful statement. And then she goes on to tell this wonderful story. And... I feel like halfway through the story, she realized I actually didn't kill him. How am I going to end this? She goes, and that's the story of Kyoshi Island. Okay, bye, everyone. <laughs> no questions. Thank you. And then just disappears, right? Yeah, yeah. It's also like, I think it depends on your your definition of murdering, though, or killing. Because yeah. if, if you define killing as the acts in which you perform that ends in the loss of life, then maybe. But... I will rely on Batman begins on this argument and say mm -hmm. that Batman's code is he doesn't kill and Batman begins. He allows Liam Neeson, by the way, spoilers for like a 20 year old movie. Um, <laughs> he allows Liam Neeson's character to die. So he was racial ghoul in that. And he, he allows him to die by not saving him. And that was yeah. a very specific line. He goes, you have to save me. You can't kill. And he goes, I don't, I won't kill you. But it won't save you either. And just like takes off like Batman. Neutral does. Jing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I'll he did. do he nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So that's the thing here is does Kiyoshi consider like herself responsible for Chin the Conqueror? So technically she did kill him. I'm going to yeah. say no, because he had like five minutes to get off that cliff. Yeah. Yeah. I do think 
Kyoshi blames herself or takes ownership or responsibility or whatever the word you want to use is. She believes that she killed Chin, but mm. it is a little ambiguous to where you can interpret it a couple different ways. And I'm going to say that because this is going to come up later. Okay. But referring back to your comment that you made about Chin the Conqueror in the show being based off of Emperor Chin mm-hmm. or the first emperor of China, really aggressively trying to expand the Chinese state. There's your little nod there. There's your connection. Yeah. yeah. And I also want to talk about the flashback because remember when we talked about Bumi's headdress being reminiscent of uh, legendary Chinese general right. Liu Bu? Yeah. Yeah. It had the two giant pheasant feathers. And mm-hmm. I was talking in uh, the King of Amashu in that episode about how that kind of headgear was commonly worn by high-ranking ancient Chinese officers and generals, mm-hmm. most often in the Beijing opera. Well, Chin's armor also has a direct historical tie because Ooh. the design of Chin's armor resembles that of Song and Ming dynasty armors, commonly worn by generals and commanders. And his hat, called a Tong Tian Guan, is often worn by the highest-ranking military officer. Interesting that his hat has the name Tong in it. It is, right? I don't know what the meaning of the Chinese characters are in that name. Yeah. So I'm seeing the Romanized version of the name. Right. And I'm also probably mispronouncing it. Sorry. <laughs> but yes, it is interesting that at least the Romanized spelling is similar to Mayor Tong's name. But after all of this, when Kyoshi's spirit leaves Aang, he asks what happened. And Katara tells him, uh, you kind of confessed. Sorry. <laughs> Mayor Tong calls for the Wheel of Punishment to be brought out so that they may seal Aang's fate with a sentence. And I got to talk about the punishments because I have a list here. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The punishments on the wheel are, of course, depicted in like picture form as drawings. But our options here are bed of nails, whipping post, boiled in oil, eaten by a shark, razor pit, mauled by platypus bear, burned alive, and community service. I like how eaten by a shark is just in there. Like as if that's anything they can control. If exactly. like sharks are in the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little do we know they have like a shark pit like somewhere yeah. nearby. <laughs> yep. It's like a really twisted version of SeaWorld. It's just oh, like man. shark Imagine. world. <laughs> Aang spins the wheel and it lands on boiled in oil. But before any steps can be taken in carrying out the sentencing, the rough rhinos appear to take over Chin Village for the Fire Lord. Mayor Tong begs Aang to help them, and Aang cheekily replies, Gee, I'd love to help, but I'm supposed to be boiled in oil. The mayor rotates the wheel a little bit more so that the ticker falls on community service. There, community service. Now serve our community and get rid of those rhinos. (laughs) So good. Also, what a crappy person Tong is. Tong just manipulates the system to have it work for him however he wants. And that's why this scene specifically is why I'm 100% sure that he did not take water tribe money just because he had it. I totally see that. The rules just change whenever whenever he deems it so. Yep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Aang smirks and gets to work using Kyoshi's fans to airbend one rough rhino off of his kimono rhino. The rest of the rough rhinos begin to attack the town, setting fires and destroying buildings. Katara and Sokka set to work sabotaging and disabling them, and Sokka gets his boomerang back. Hey, you always come back. (laughs) (laughs) The fight is finally over when Aang knocks out their leader in one of the streets. Later that evening, the town celebrates the holiday with a new meaning, using fireworks and unfried dough to remind them of how, on this day, the Avatar was not boiled in oil. I love fried dough that hasn't been fried. It's delicious and nutritious. And completely safe to eat. Of course. (laughs) No raw eggs in there. No one do that, please. Please don't do that. Yeah, please don't eat raw dough. The the fight that you were talking about earlier is also why I like to think that the uh, Yuyan Archer is the failed one because he gets like, not sabotaged, he gets like flanked way too many times and he misses and then like a miss happens to like hurt one of his teammates and it's just like, you're the worst, pal. Yeah. I didn't go into too much detail there with the fight, but 
you can really see during that sequence just how he probably isn't up to snuff. And also the one thing he can fire and hit is like a building. Yeah. <laughs> he like sets roofs on fire and that's it. I mean, at least he could hit the broadside of a barn, I guess. I there's guess so. That. There's that. There's that. that. That's another farm uh, analogy for everyone because everyone knows that I'm an expert farmer. So you're all welcome. <laughs> Booster Greg bringing his farming know-how to <laughs> Avatar, the podcast. All my farming experience has been on display here. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, that is our episode. Happy mm-hmm. Avatar Day, everyone. Yay. Enjoy your unfried dough. <laughs> Let's never come to this town again. Yeah. I love how Sokka's like, this is the worst town we've ever been to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's never do this again, okay? so good. Oh, so good. It's such a silly episode, but I do think there's a lot of fun things in it, including the returning voice actors. And we do get to see a little bit more about our previous avatars, which I remember being one of the things I was most interested in when I was first watching this show. I loved Mm -hmm. Aang, but every time I got a glimpse of his past lives, like Kyoshi and Roku, it snapped up my attention. I just wanted to know more. So that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited about going into the Kyoshi books after we finish Avatar The Last Airbender. Yep, yep. Possibly even Korra. I don't actually know when we're going to read the books, but I will say... In doing research for these episodes, I do stumble across a lot of references to the books. So mm. I'm thinking we are going to see a lot of characters and places and things that we'd lightly touch on during these episodes brought back yeah. into play in the books. So awesome. get excited. Yeah. All right, Greg. Yes. Who is your MVP of this episode? And we all know it's not going to be Tong. No, it's not Tong. Although Tong is my favorite character in this episode because he's so ridiculous. He's just, I like him like I liked Zhao. He is just a terrible, he's a terrible human being. I think he's fully aware of it. He doesn't do anything to not be a terrible human being. He's just accepted that he is, he is horrible. And that's how things go. I like to think he's oblivious and he just thinks he's the best person in the world, but he's actually like awful. Yeah. But like no one hates him either in his down. Like we haven't seen anyone be like, you suck. No one thought Aunt Wu was full of it. Everyone there was like science schmience. Right. But like, I think also like it also depends. I think I'm more kind of thinking about his ability to unite people is also like he's not man. I just like him as a character, but like he does have a good ability to unite his town against a common enemy, which is pretty much people uniting 101. If you all hate the same person, then you're all on the same page. And you build an effigy out of paper mache <laughs> and then you light it on fire in the streets, right? Three effigies, in fact. Yes, that's how, <laughs> that's how you do that. Um, this one's really tough for me because no one really stands out. There are no real defining moments. Like my gut reaction kind of wants to say Kiyoshi. Yeah. But she all she does is like lie, kind of like <laughs> she makes this false statement and then changes the subject. So no one will realize that the statement is false. And then we get an origin story. You're reading into it so much. That's what happened. That's literally what <laughs> That's happens. That's one interpretation. She's also a very factual person. So it's like, yeah. I killed Chin with my actions. And this is what happened. And this is how I created a, a home and made it safe. She also strikes me as the type of person who doesn't care what anyone else thinks about her. Oh, so like, zero. Yeah. So she's just like, <laughs> these are the facts. This is what happened. I perceive this as killing. If you don't, I really don't care. Okay, bye. By the way, this is how I made this island. Cool. Bye. Yeah basically <laughs> yeah yeah this one's super tough i'm just gonna say kiyoshi because she had that awesome entrance and she's just super powerful this is the first real glimpse that we got of her we've only really seen roku up until this point yep so like this is the first time that i have a grasp on personality uh her voice like jennifer hale did a fantastic job delivering like this idea of a character through a what a paragraph and then that's it not even so i'll go with kiyoshi yeah, I'm going to have to go with Kyoshi too. Yeah. With the the runner-up being Katara and Sokka, because what good friends to try yeah. to go through all of that to clear your friend's name. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change okay. my mind out. I'm going to say Sokka because he, he was a detective. He got, he got the dress up going on. He committed to the role. He didn't uh-huh. let anyone tell him what the facts meant until he figured it out. 
Okay, well, if you go with Sokka, then I have to go with Katara, who was the other side of the brain <laughs> We're not of the operation. MVPs for, <laughs> so I think officially it's going to be Kiyoshi, but I think unofficially, which I don't know what this means for anyone keeping track, but I think it's also give like a 0. <laughs> 0.5 to, to MVP, everyone. Kiyoshi, first runner up, Sokka, also yeah. Katara, and yeah. then third runner up. I mean, those guys in the cell were pretty cool because they were pretty chill. So, you know, everyone in this episode is an point. MVP. This is this is turning into whose line is it anyways, where points just don't matter anymore. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. If Sorry. you're keeping track, which you probably are, he make probably sense of that how a, you will. I feel like he gave up a long time ago. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I believe in you, Rob. Yeah. What about your moral of the story? Um, The moral of the episode is, I don't know for this one. Like, I feel like I want to say something along the lines of like, if things aren't really going your way, maybe take a step back and reevaluate the situation. Mm. Something like that. Or maybe more along the lines of like, this is a bad moral of the episode. And I'm not saying I agree with it, but like, if you don't like what's going on, leave. I don't agree with that, but I think that's what they're kind of saying because Zuko splits with his uncle. Because I don't read it this way, but you could also read that as Zuko has been following his uncle. He is now poor. He has to steal. No one's treating him with the respect that he thinks he needs. I don't think this is happening, but you could interpret it that way. So he leaves his uncle. I think he just leaves his uncle because he knows he has to grow. Kiyoshi literally splits a continent because like they're just terrible people over there. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Jin the Conqueror is a failed Ozai. Agreed. <laughs> he's he's a Napoleon is what he is. Yes, he is. He's like literally even in his stature. He's Napoleon. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I think that was the other side of his inspiration. Napoleon yeah. Bonaparte. Yep. Well, for sure. Yep. If they say no, I'm, I would call a lie on that one because that's the first thing I thought. But yeah, I think it's like just the importance of distancing yourself from a situation. Yeah. I'm going to go with the goofy moral of yeah. the episode because I feel like I'm in a goofy mood. Okay. Unfried dough does not make a good holiday dish. Just don't do it. <laughs> just don't do it. Just don't do it. Oh, I forgot to say something too. What? Um, is it just me or does Kyoshi splitting the island have that like Pangea vibe to it? Oh, it does. Yes. Yeah. Also very reminiscent to what Roku did at the Crescent Island Temple. Do you think that Roku was channeling Kyoshi when he did that? I think it's just an avatar thing. It's just the magnitude of their avatar abilities oftentimes result in like these really grand scale. If if Cora does it, I will agree with you. If she doesn't, that, that seems like a very specific like combination of elements to have the same result. The whole like magma coming up yeah. from the like under the Earth's crust and making the initial cut with air bending and then using earth bending to kind of like really solidify it. And then furthermore, with lava bending and then just like using water bending to separate it. It could also be that the showmakers just really like to animate lava. That's true. That's true too. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Well, we'll keep an eye out. It yeah, could be will. a theme. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, unfried dough, don't don't eat that. Don't, don't put eat that, that in your mouth. That's a great moral. It's <laughs> a very practical moral. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that thing, okay? Please don't. Anyway, that is going to be all the time we have for this week. Yeah. Exciting things are to come next week as we uh-huh. finally meet someone. We've been anxiously anticipating this whole podcast. I don't know who you could possibly be referring to. Who no knows? Idea. Some minor know. character, I'm sure. Yeah. Someone who doesn't really have a big part to play or anything. No, probably yeah. has a weird alliterative nickname or something. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> We'd also like to say thank you for continuing to follow us through this journey and adding to our discussions through emails sent to avatarthepodcast at gmail.com, tweets sent to at podcast avatar, and also just joining us in discussion on our YouTube videos and on Greg's Twitch channel and anywhere else that you like to talk to us. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please. Those are super appreciated. And also, like, if you have friends that enjoy Avatar the Podcast, tell them like hey there's this like kind of cool podcast to listen to featuring an amazing woman by the name of acorn bandit and greg's there too (laughs) also i love how you said friends who love avatar the podcast you should tell them about avatar the podcast yeah did i say that i mean avatar (laughs) whoops where can they find you greg oh yeah so if you're caught up on all the episodes you can always hang out with me on monday and friday evenings at 8 p.m eastern standard time over at twitch.tv slash booster greg that is, unless, of course, we are doing a Geek Generation stream team event. 
like we just did not too long ago where we played Among Us and I'm still a little little sus of Acorn, but it's fine. We'll get over it. It's okay. <laughs> I totally had Greg shot out of the... To be fair, though, you never actually murdered me directly, unlike the next round when I just murdered you. <laughs> that is true. I <laughs> consequentially had you ejected from the spaceship through yep. um, an accusation, but you literally stabbed me in the yep. back. Yes. Yep. It was a good time. It was a great yeah. So if great. you ever see one of those uh, show up on Twitter, you should definitely, definitely come hang out with us because it's always a good time. And we always partner up with the amazingly talented other members of the Geek Generation stream team. But what yes. about enough about me and the Geek Generation stream team over at thegeekgeneration.com and on Geek Generation Discord and twitch.tv slash the Geek Generation. What about you, <laughs> Acorn? Where can people find you? Oh, you know, you can find me anywhere online at Acorn Bandit. Um, also, I have this thing called Joysons.com, which is yeah. kind of my website and stuff. And I do things like make enamel pins, mm -hmm. which we have one coming out soon for yes. book two. So get excited about that. So excited. But yeah, I just uh, I do some things and stuff online with um, the, the the social medias and the uh, the art things. And um, yeah, that's me. Yeah. But more importantly, coming up next time. Do you need an earthbending teacher? Well then, tough luck. <laughs> and accessorizing with Sokka. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.